Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you've joined us here in uh, the exact center of the universe, Green Bay, Wisconsin, as well as our campuses over in Stephen Point and Appleton. Good to have you guys with us and all those who watch us online all over the country and the world. Uh, this is our night to uh, go through the Bible. We're going through the New Testament one verse at a time. We've just completed the book of Acts. As we've been going through the book of Acts, every time it is said that uh, Paul or whoever wrote an epistle, we stopped and read through that epistle, so we're going through it. Now we finished the book of Acts. It ended with the fact that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, said that Paul was then uh, under house arrest for the next two years, and then it doesn't tell us anything else. Two theories on this. One is then at the end of two years, he was martyred, and then there's the theory that uh, at the end of two years, he was released and then rearrested later and then martyred. Doesn't really matter one way or the other, but that's uh, the theory. I guess the only thing that would affect would be in two places we know that Paul said uh, he was going to come. Like he was going to come to the Philippians. I think it was right. Yes, the Philippians. And I pointed out that no, he never does come to the Philippians because he, he stops at Rome. Well, some people are like, no, 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 he must have known he was going to go there for. That's probably what happened. He also wrote to Philemon about the runaway slave Onesimus, uh, who is both there both from Colossae, and uh, he says, make a room for me, because I'm going to come visit you soon. Uh, I think both of those phrases, he's just living like the rest of us live, in hope and faith, and you don't always get everything you want. Somebody say amen, amen. or oh me, either one. Uh, but again, there are those who, no, 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 it couldn't happen that way, so he probably got released, went and did these things, and then got rearrested. I don't know. Nobody knows. All we know is that uh, the predominance of thinking is that at the end of two years, that was it for him in Rome. So now the rest of the New Testament that he writes, and there's still quite a bit to go through yet, uh, was written while he was a prisoner in Rome, okay? So uh, we did read the uh, letter to Philemon about the uh, runaway slave. We'll come back to that again at the end of this next letter. The next letter he writes is to the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I know every one of you have a big, nice Bible in your hands. Amen. Wave your Bible at me, you slackers. Come on, bring your Bible there. Some of you go, good, good. Get in the habit. It's a Bible study. Bring your Bible. How radical. All right? Now, he writes to, I just mentioned Colossae. He writes to the Colossians there. Uh, there's no record that he had ever been there. Uh, and I think he even mentions that he hadn't, but... Uh, no work that he'd been there. He was in Laodicea, which is near there. And then it is assumed, you know, as the gospel spread, the Colossians were involved in this. And he was excited about it, so he decides to write a letter to the Colossians. Now, at this point, Paul starts, again, we're looking toward the end of his life now. Uh, and especially if at the end of two years, this is it. He is trying to be very thoughtful in writing about the way the church should act and believe and what's important and what is not important. And uh, so he's, he plays a little bit of whack-a-mole in, in some of these letters. You know, some things are popping up that shouldn't be popping up. They'll smack them down uh, because that's what happened. And in fact, when we get into when we're done with this, we're going to do a study of early Christianity. What happened after the apostles were all di had died and gone? And we'll look at history. There's no biblical references at that point, but we'll look at the historical references and look at the historical line to see what happened. How did they get to where they were up until the Reformation? 
where Martin Luther broke off and the Lutherans broke off from the Catholic Church and then everything's been breaking off ever since. So it's going to be kind of interesting as, as we get to all of that. But now he's, uh, some of these things that he whack a mold uh, did actually become problems later, despite what the scripture says and what he said. Anyway, let's take a look at it. Colossians, the first chapter, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul and Timothy are uh, greetings to these guys in Colossians, Colossia, Colossae, uh, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your great faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. I mean, at this point, and we'll see more of this as we read along here, he's starting to sit back a little bit and to realize that the gospel is spreading everywhere, all over the world. There has got to be a huge degree of satisfaction on his part because now Christianity is just taking off like crazy. And unlike many other religions that took years and years and years, 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 you know, hundreds of years, whatever, this was all done within, all of this was written like in a 70-year period, the whole New Testament, whereas this Old Testament part was written over thousands of years. I mean, this really, from a timeline, incredibly compacted. The impact they had on the known world at that time is stunning. Uh, you know, all these major, you know, the Roman Empire and stuff like that, about 300 years into it. We'll take a look at it when we look at our timeline. By that point... Christianity prevails and it becomes the religion of the, of the Roman Empire, hence the Holy Roman Catholic Church. That's where all that comes from. And how, what happens after that is, is fascinating to look at. So he's, you know, he's excited. Uh, you know, we pray for you guys. We heard everything about you, how you're doing. Uh, and then he writes about the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What is he talking about? Hope stirred up in heaven. I don't know what he's talking about. Now, uh, whenever I get to the point where I don't understand what Paul is talking about, I always take comfort in the words of Peter, which we'll eventually get to, where he writes about Paul and said, you know, there's some things he talks about. I got no idea what he's talking about. So I feel in very good company. I just admit I don't know what he's talking about. Now, when I run into stuff where I have absolutely no idea, then I hit, you know, it used to be 15 years ago, you'd go through the voluminous books on all pastor's shelves, digging into it. Today we have Google, and you can get a lot more done a lot faster because you can find stuff right away. It's quite, you know, the information age is stunning. And every single theologian that I could come up with, when it came to that verse, totally ignores it. And they don't say anything. They start talking about hope and love. I, I get hope and love. What the heck is hope stored up in heaven? What is that? I don't know what he's talking about. And apparently nobody else does either. One theologian was fascinating. He's, he's got to write about every single verse in the Bible. And when he gets to Colossians, he's got verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, this, verse, verse 4. And then he go, when he gets to verse 5, he just goes to verse 6. That's a show you. It's stunning. You skip the entire verse? How do you do that? Every verse in the Bible, I assume it must be a typo or something on this website. I have no idea. Anyway, what is hope in heaven that is stored up? I don't know what he's talking about. I'm sure someday we can ask him. So, moving on. All right. So, where am I? In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Again, this reflection now. 
at this point in his life, this is going everywhere. It is really having a major impact. And again, the degree of satisfaction for the sufferings and what he has sacrificed, and all of them had sacrificed at this point, and how Christianity is growing so fast because people weren't just learning about God, but they were experiencing God. And that is something we, to this day, need to get back to. When we share about our faith with people, it's not about arguing with them or debating with them or coming up with better uh, philosophies than some pinhead learned from a philosophy teacher in college. It's not about that. It's about people experiencing God. That's why I encourage you, pray for people who are not believers. Ask them how it's going because something's going to be hitting the fan, you know? Oh, this is terrible. Oh, my granny's sick. Oh, do you mind if I pray for her? I mean, stuff like that. Do that. And when God starts answering prayers, it really fries people's heads. I'm just like, wow, wow, wow. And that's an argument they have no, argument, uh, no way to, to defeat. It's when God starts showing up. And that's what happened in early Christianity. It wasn't about debate. It was over and over again, Paul talked about, it was about the power of God. When he would come and explain this message of Jesus to people and would start praying for people, God would start answering prayers and it freaked the willies out of them. And they would convert to Christianity because this was unlike anything else they'd ever seen. And the same thing can happen today. That's why I want to encourage uh, believers all over the world who listen to this. Man, pray for people. Well, they don't believe in Jesus yet. Good. It's a good time to pray for them. Watch God show. God loves to show up and freak out unbelievers. Now us, he'll challenge our faith. <laughs> right? He challenges our faith. Paul talks about, you know, one brother got sick, he almost died, oh, they're going through all these struggles and stuff. Man, where was your faith? You think Paul didn't have any faith. No, the Lord will challenge your faith. But to unbelievers, God loves to show up and go, boo. <laughs> and freak them out. So go spook people for Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. In a nice way, you know what I'm saying. All right, where am I? Blah, 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 blah. Where am I growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So it's been spreading among you all over the world just like it's been spreading around you. You learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who was a faithful minister of Christ of our, on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, comma, long senses, he writes, holy moly, growing in the knowledge of God, comma, being strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, comma, oh, and patience, comma, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, comma, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, period, praise God. <laughs> All right, let's back up now. <laughs> Boy, I never heard about run-on sentences. <laughs> okay, he goes back. Now, let's start back from the beginning. Well, that incredibly long sentence. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Why? So you can live a life worthy of God, is what he's talking about, and fulfill all the stuff in his grace. Now, the point of this is when he's praying for them that they would become filled with the knowledge of God's will, it wasn't about what to wear today, okay? And, you know, do I get this mutual fund or the other mutual fund? And it wasn't about, do I work at McDonald's or Burger King? 
You know, they didn't have Burger King back then, just McDonald's. Okay, so all these different things. They didn't struggle with that kind of nonsense. Christians today get all, when it comes to the will of God, they just get all, what should I do? What should I do? What should I stop? What should I do? Use your brain. Use wisdom. Ask advice. That's what the Bible says. You're not supposed to be your own little private church off to yourself that God is constantly whispering in your ear every little thing to do. Somebody say amen. If you do that, you're what we call, I think the technical word is crazy, all right? Don't do that. Be down to earth, be real. God will guide and lead you. When it comes to the will of God, he's talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory, how to live your life, what kind of a person to be that you would have wisdom and knowledge to understand all the stuff that he's writing about and been writing about and will continue to write about here, about how to live as a Christian. There's ways we should live. This is the will of God. What every little decision you have to make is not. Now, can God sometimes have a specific thing he wants you to do? Like, don't work at Burger King and switch over and go to McDonald's. I think he does, and he certainly can. But then he'll let you know. This idea that what you have to do is beg and cry and please, say, God, please show me your will, God. Please show me your will, God. It's crazy. Now, I don't know who came up with this, but it needs to stop. And it's been stopping more and more in the church, praise God, but there's still a whole lot of this nonsense going on. Oh, I don't know the will of God. How oh, you need to pray and fast and struggle and cry out to the Lord so he can know before you can know whatever mission trip you're going on, you've got to really seek the Lord and cry out to him. You know, like, you know where they get a lot of that? The Old Testament. What have I been teaching you? We don't live by the Old Testament. We learn from the Old Testament, but there's all kinds of crazy things Christians do today because they get it from the Old Testament. Seek my face, wait for me, da, 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 all this kind of stuff, because that's what they did in the Old Testament. Something's changed. It's called the gospel. Jesus has come. We have been united with Christ, and this incredible, life-changing, earth-altering experience of the Holy Spirit comes into the world, and the Holy Spirit now guides and leads us into all truth. I just don't think, I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong about four or five things my entire life, so I'm, <laughs> But I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I've, I used to practice the other version. And all it, it does is lead to frustration. Now, I don't know, people sit around for 10, 15, 20 years in churches and never done a stinking thing. Never got involved and did anything because they're still waiting for God to show them his will. And I am convinced when they stand before the Lord, there's going to be some serious butt kicking going on. About some of these slackers who sit around waiting for, oh, just waiting for the Lord. Don't do anything. That is not what's supposed to be happening. Well, how do we know the will of God if he wants us to do something? He'll let you know. Now, Jesus used this analogy several times. If you, as a parent, know how to relate to your children, you, though being evil, he said. It's a word of encouragement. <laughs> or what? You know, if you, being evil, know how to do good things and give good gifts and answer your kids. How much more is God? If you want your kids to do something, if you have a desire and a will for them, do you tell them or do you wait for them to come and seek your face? <laughs> Which is it? You tell them. Maybe right. <laughs> Said the mom with four daughters. <laughs> All right. If you're a boss, do you wait for your employees to come and sense what it is you're desiring? 
Or do you tell them? You tell them. Unless you work for me and most of them tell me what to do because I don't know what's going on. Hey, man, same lady. (laughs) Also works for me. So this thing, it's not this big stinking goofball mystery. Stop! You people on the internet. These people aren't nearly as crazy because they've been listening for years. Y'all need to stop. All this crazy, oh, the Lord's will, I don't know if I should do this, I don't know if I should do that, and sit around doing nothing is absurd. Well, what if God wants me to do something? He'll let you know. How? He's a big boy. <laughs> He's got all kinds of ways. You might hear something, you might have a vision, you might, someone might tell you clearly. You know, you might have a pastor look at you and say, man, you need to go to Egypt and preach the gospel. And some stranger walk up to you in three days and say, you know, I don't know you, but I feel I should give you money to go to Egypt. I would think that would be the Lord's will at that point, right? And stuff like that happens. It's not this big, stop with the mystery that you can't, that you're, you're in this Old Testament mode of crying out for God to deliver you. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. So when he's talking about, he's praying that they'll have the knowledge of the will of God, it's not about the piddly stuff, it's about so you can live a life worthy of the Lord. Well, what's that got to do with what clothes you wear today? What's that got to do with what customer you take or you don't take? They can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. It has to do with who you are, what kind of person you are. That's the will of God in the New Testament. If he's got something specific for you, he'll tell you. Otherwise, whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, do it. And do it to the best of your ability. Well, Pastor, where should I volunteer? I don't know. What can you do? I don't know. Well, figure it out. Do it. You know. What do you want to do? Or what would you hate to do? Then do that. Right? Seriously. You think everything's based on what I want, I want. What kind of spirituality is that? People are just waiting because I want to wait until I have an opportunity to sing on the platform at church. Yeah, lots of luck with that. We don't have a lot of people doing that. Why? Because most people can't sing with Jack. Well, I want to. I don't care. It's not about what you want. What is this narcissistic version of Christianity? Well, I want to know. How about you find something you just hate and do it? Poopy diapers. Volunteer for that. Say, hey, poopy, poopy dollars. You're the per- perfect guy. Right? Work with the children. I hate children. Good. You're just the guy we need. <laughs> just don't yell at them. That's all I'm saying. You know, maybe in the background. I don't know. But I just... All right. I think I beat that to death. Let us move on. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Now, then he starts explaining to them who Jesus is. Because already this is one of the whack-a-moles that's popping up. Because they don't quite get the idea of the Trinity, which is fair. Because it's a little complicated. <laughs> I mean, who really gets it? You know, there's three, but there's only one. And you got God and his son. What is that about? 
and all this, you know, and it gets kind of messes with your head. And, uh, and it gets a little confusing. Now, the analogy we always use to help people comprehend this is the idea of water, ice, and steam. All of it is H2O. When it's freezing cold, it turns hard as a rock. It hasn't changed at all. Just the form has changed. It's still just H2O. When it's room temperature, it turns into water. What's the difference? It's just warmer. That's all. It's still H2O. When you really boil it up and steam is flying around, you don't get a lot of steam in Green Bay. You know, so go to Florida, there's steam everywhere. Uh, uh, it's still just water. It's always just water. Three distinct different things that don't look anything like each other. Yet it's exactly the same thing. Always, all the time, it never ceases to be anything but H2O. It's quite fascinating. So it's a great analogy in, in, uh, in the world about the, about the uh, Trinity. So now he's trying to explain to them because they're trying to get their heads around and some are coming up with, as, as you read the th- you know, history behind this, they're, you know, starting to say, well, well, maybe Jesus was, you know, not really God because he was the son of God. So, you know, my son isn't me, you know, so it must not be me. He's like just a superhuman guy. And they were coming up with all kinds of theories and stuff that was getting all jacked up. And uh, so Paul was whack a mole it here. And he starts to explain it. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God. He can see, the version of God is what, that you can see is in Jesus because you can't see God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Well, now that's different. In him all things were created. I thought he didn't show up until Mary had him. He's saying, no, he's always been there. Why? It's just God. It's still H2O. Things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. He didn't just show up one day. He is before all things. (laughs) Who's Jesus? He's before everything. He's always been there. In other words, he's God. That's what he's trying to say. He's God. And in him, all things hold together. It's fascinating. I don't give you too many scientific analogies because I flunked that class. But uh, they say that at a molecular level, you know, with atoms and things spinning around, and they're not quite sure what holds it all together. It doesn't make sense. You had negative and positive fighting around a little nucleus, and what's holding that together? He holds all things together. Once he lets go, everything would disappear. It's quite fascinating. And he is the head of the body, the church. Okay, he's the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead. Okay. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile himself to all thi- to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The reason God showed up, the same H2O, in the earth is so that he could take the rap for all of us. God made a statement in the beginning. If you sin you will die. And not just physical death, eternal death. And people go, well, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? You can't. You can't. Mankind is utterly hopeless. What can we do? Well, somebody's got to pay the price. Well, nobody could pay the price. God says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. This has to be punished, and I'll take the punishment myself. I mean, the, the level of love that is exhibited 
in Christ, God coming to earth and taking the rap and the, the, the punishment for all of our sins is beyond comprehension, quite frankly. It's, I mean, you hear stories about people who lay down their lives for a friend or something like that, or, or that uh, great classic story, The Tale of Two Cities, where one guy is in love with the girl and she picks boy number two. He's out in the cold. But boy number two gets arrested and he's going to the guillotine. Guillotine. Guillotine, guillotine, same thing. Get his head chopped off. And he so loves the girl, because they look a lot alike. He so loves the girl that he goes into prison, swaps places with the guy, and he goes to the guillotine for him. Oh, it's a great story, right? It's, you know, he's a little nuts, I think. I'd say, kill the guy and I get the girl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sucks to be you, see ya! Hey, you got time tomorrow, let's get together, you know. But that's why they don't write stories about me. All right. So all of this, he takes the punishment for us. Someone had to pay the price, even in the Tale of Two Cities. It's all a Christian analogy. The Tale of Two Cities. He takes it, because the price had to be paid. Somebody had to pay for that crime. And without them, because they couldn't tell the difference, said, I'll do it. So the price got paid, but not by the guy who earned, deserved it. It's love. It's the most incredible love anybody could have. This is what God did for the entire human race. Once, he says, verse 21, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. See, we don't think in terms like that. We think, you know, I'm really not that bad of a guy. You know, I'm a nice guy. If you think I'm bad, you should meet the people I know. Right? We all know people worse than us, right? You should meet my neighbor. You think I'm bad? Let me give you my mother-in-law's phone number, right? Everybody's got, and we are, by being exposed to other people that we think are more disgusting than us, we think we're okay, because we're not that bad. When the point is, we're all terribly, hopefully, hopelessly, in a disaster of a condition without God in our lives. It's not, gee, I was kind of a nice guy, I came to believe in Jesus. No, no, no. You were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's the picture of you before you come to Jesus. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's a great sentence here. Another long one, but great one. He reconciled you to, by Christ's physical body through death to present you in his sight, uh, present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So you got the two ex extremes here. On the one hand, he says, before Christ, you're, you're evil. You're wa walking in an evil world, which we, we, it's hard for us to relate. We only think of, you know, Hitler is evil and, you know, Mussolini and, you know, the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, that's pretty much it for us. We got, we got a few people, they're evil, okay? <laughs> I don't have a lot of Minnesota fans, I gotta tell you. I gotta stop doing this because I think they all hate me over there. For comments like that, I'm just teasing, okay? So, we don't think of ourselves, we think evil is just, oh, that's evil, we're not evil. No, without God, the world that we live in, and that's why we keep seeing all this nasty stuff, even if it's under control, it's still rooted in evil. Then we get saved, and now he says, we become holy without blemish, that means no mark on us, and free from accusation. And now we have the problem with that version of it. Well, that can't be me. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not holy. 
I'm okay. You know, in fact, we go around thinking, what? You know, I'm a, I, I make mistakes. I'm not as holy as I should be. I don't pray as much as I should. You know, I don't go present. So we go around. It's, it's like we have this hard time. We like to live in this middle mush. Either we weren't that evil in the first place, and now that we're saved, we're really not that holy. When what he's saying is a dramatic thing happens. We go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's light. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Because that's what happens when we're covered in the precious blood of Christ. Jesus is without fault, without shame, without blemish, and is holy. We now become joint heirs of Christ, the Bible says. Hard for a lot of people to relate to. So if you're either arrogant thinking you don't need God, that's not good because you don't realize how evil you really are. Or now that you're a Christian, you still go, well, I just, I'm terrible and I'm still just a worm and God, I don't know why he doesn't kill me. You know? and, uh, you're not getting this right either. You say, but I got issues. I know that. He knows that. The person in the mirror definitely knows it. But when God, that is what happened. You have been, that's why he's so much on your side. He looks at you and goes, yes. You think, no, he doesn't. He looks at me and goes, yikes. No, that's, that's your wife. Okay, but not God. God looks at you and goes, yes. All right. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul was the servant. What's the most, pa- what is, what is <laughs> important for a, fa- a servant to be found? Faithful. Big emphasis on faithfulness. Think about servants, faithfulness. And uh, Paul considered him a servant of God. He does what he's told. He serves the living God. And he's faithful to the cause of Christ. We should all be faithful. We need to be more faithful. I think we need to stress faithfulness more. I, you know, it, me beating it sometimes sounds self-serving, but it's not about self-serving. It's about being faithful. Let me give you an example. You're all a part of this church. We have people, Stevens Point, every Sunday, Appleton, here. Uh, let's take this location. If another church moves in and buys that lot over there, and puts in a yo mama kicking building. I mean, wow. And has better children's ministries, better youth ministries, a better looking pastor. I realize this is theoretical. (laughs) Who speaks better and teaches the Bible better. There's all kinds of people, maybe some of you, who would go next door. Because... And people do this all the time. They leave churches like this or other churches jumping around. They're fundamentally, they're unfaithful people. Now, we hope that they will grow in their faith and change that behavior and become faithful. You mean everybody who leaves the church is unfaithful? No, some people leave the church because the churches become very dysfunctional or teaching things they shouldn't teach. I mean, somebody thinks that we're teaching heresy, by all means, move on. But you'd be shocked at how many people leave even this church, even in our, our campuses, because well, this other church has a better this or better. Here, here's the problem with unfaithfulness. Or thinking this way. Imagine yourself as a married couple. You as a man. You as a woman. If you're faithful, you're committed to each other. All the time. I got news for you. There's always somebody better than your spouse. There is. That's terrible. No, it's not. It's the reality. There's always other guys who are more helpful, more sensitive, more kind, more useful around a house. Ask my wife. 
like worthless. There's always somebody who makes better money, is kinder. There's always some girl who's prettier than the one you got. It is. It's the reality. Someone who's got better legs, bigger boobs, nicer butt. Prettier hair. Oh, you're all, whoa, that's exactly, yeah. And you know it. That's the thing. Yeah, quit looking at her. You know, I don't know. Some of you live in a constant state of insecurity because of that. Well, relax because everywhere there's somebody better looking than you. Now, what if your husband finds someone that's, she's nicer and she's better looking and man, she's 15 years younger. I think I'll go with her. That's called unfaithfulness, you see. If a woman says, you know, I, you're kind of a lazy pig and this other guy seems a lot nicer, I'm going to go with him. That's fundamentally, it's unfaithfulness. And amazing how many people in our culture who think that's not unfaithfulness. That's perfectly legitimate. If I find some other guy who's not as much of a pig as the one I married, then it's perfectly legitimate for, not biblically speaking, no. And it's, it's now we're not talking about people who cheat on each other's spouse. They, they break the covenant. That, that's different. I'm just talking about you find someone better. Do you remember Jesus often referred to uh, people as being part of an adulterous generation? You're a wicked and adulterous generation. What is that? Does everybody go out and, and cheat on their wives? Some, but not all of them. Why are they an adulterous generation? Because they'll always go to something better. They'll always find something nicer, you know? And we need to learn faithfulness. We do. Well, Pastor, we, I found another pastor who's better at Bible teaching than you. There's probably a whole bunch of them. <laughs> I got some psychotic person in our church. I don't know who it is. <laughs> My wife and I laugh. We probably just tear it up and throw it away when we get letters. I don't know who she is, but I don't know if she's here and But she writes to me, and she, you know what she yells at me? That Pastor Joe's a better preacher than me. And that he should be preaching, and I shouldn't. Okay. And better looking, yeah, that's what Joe says. <laughs> Joe's convinced of it. He's delusional, but he's convinced of it. <laughs> Even within our church sometimes, it's all a matter of who's better. Better. We become like an adulterous generation. We don't commit ourselves to anybody. We don't really follow anybody. We don't respect anybody. It's a, now, the good news about living up, up here for pastors is there's not a whole lot of churches that get caught up in that nonsense. That's why we're glad we don't live like in the Bible Belt. Anybody ever been around the Bible Belt? You familiar with it? That's all it is, man. Constant competition. Better youth pastor. Hipper music. Man, if they had a better singer, you should hear the singer at that church. Though 50 people, 100 people leave that church, go to that church, just because the singer is better. This is constantly what goes down there. And they're all constantly in competition with each other. And they got to keep playing this game of who's better. I would hate to live that way. I wouldn't live that way. I'd rather freeze in Wisconsin. People say, why do you live up here? Because y'all crazy down there. Internet people down there. Good night. How you live in that culture? I, I can stand it. It's this fundamental, adulterous generation. Who's ever cuter? Who's ever better? Who's got a better program? Better this, better that? Man, don't, don't be caught. It, it, we need to encourage faithfulness. A servant, a true servant, is faithful. 
Paul certainly was faithful. We need to learn faith. You know who I, and I've, I've mentioned this many times before. The people that I have the greatest respect for are people who go to like some mainline church that's been around forever, you know, like Lutheran church or something. And you're talking to them. And I say, you know, what church you go to? I go to such and such Lutheran church. Really? What's it like? Oh, it's horrible. It's really, oh, our pastor is terrible. He's just terrible. It's just like pouring sand in your eyes when he preaches. It's like, oh, it's, it's just, but we're excited because we'll be getting a new pastor pretty soon. I said, wow, how long has that guy been there? 25 years. Now, see, that person has all the respect in the world for me. Because here's a guy who's going to church that they have an awful pastor. Does it change what church he goes to? No. It's my church. I'm committed to this church. I never get upset at people that don't leave their church and join my church. Look, there's enough sinners out there. We can all be, all these churches can be filled to the brim. We have to build bigger churches. We don't need to go around stealing them from other churches. But some of them are committed to their church and it's awful. And they're still committed. Now again, you're going to a church and they're crazy and they're teaching bad things or they're not giving you the word of God at all or, you know. But that's not why most people leave. Most people, if they leave here, one of the common things is, well, I'm not getting fed. That's a version of there's someone else who's a better cook. Right? What if your husband left you because he could find a lady who was a better cook? I bet you, I guarantee you, there's a lady who could cook better than you. We got some killer cooks in this church. That was the only real positive thing about my wife being in the hospital. Because <laughs> they all brought me food. <laughs> Man, seriously. Some of you, if I was married to some of y'all, I would be 350 pounds. I guarantee you. <laughs> Whoa, I mean, some of y'all can cook. But as good as you can cook, I promise you, somebody cooks better than you. It always, there always is. It never stops. It never stops, but that's not a reason to move on. Let us create an atmosphere of faithfulness. Let us be faithful people. You know, we'll do our best not to suck. All right? But if we do suck, be faithful. Pray for us until it no longer sucks. Can you say sucks in church? Apparently. I just did several times. Paul goes on, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And now this is, this is every once in a while there's a real problematic verse, verse in the Bible. This is one of them. The, the other major problematic, there's been a few, we've gone through them already. But one of the biggest ones, when Paul talks about references baptizing for the dead. You know, very problem. What does that mean? Nobody knows. All right. And it's kind of creepy. And I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, so here's another one of these fundamentally, whoa, what are you talking about? He says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Whoa, what are you saying? It sounds like Jesus wasn't enough, so I'm kind of making up the difference. Now, we do not think that's what he meant, but it can certainly come across that way. Now, if you dig into the depth of it, what he's saying here is, in regarding to Christ's afflictions, it's a different word than the word they use for Christ's sacrifice or of his passion. It was a different Greek word. So we're using a different, this is more about just troubles. So what he's basically saying, what uh, Christ's troubles uh, he went through, 
I still have to add troubles to help in the kingdom of, of, kingdom of God. It's kind of like, you know, not only did your dad have to suffer to raise your kids, I had to suffer to raise your kids. So, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. So anyway, it's not that the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. That makes no sense. And it would be con- completely contradictory to everything he just said about him you know, on the cross reconciling the world to himself. I mean, when Jesus said it was finished, it is finished. He covered it all. This thing about what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, uh, you know, just, again, Peter, some things he says hard to understand. But if you look at that word afflictions, he's not talking about his passion of sufferings on the cross, just sufferings in general. I don't know. It's still kind of a, a bit. He's still suffering to help the church grow. And I guess in a sense, what he's saying is, you know, um, Jesus died on the cross, so it makes all this possible, but yet I still have to suffer to help advance the church. All of it. For example, Jesus paid it all, right? How many of you know Jesus paid it all? All right, you still need to give in the offering. Wait, I thought he paid it all. Well, yeah, but there's still bills, okay? There's still things that need to do because he paid it all doesn't mean nobody has to pay bills anymore, although that would be great. Christianity would be a lot more popular, I'll tell you that. Every time you became a Christian, you had to pay any more bills. Hallelujah, sign me up, right? So, okay, does that make sense to you? That's kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, verse 25, I have become its servant, talking about the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations. Oh, see, pastor, it's still a mystery. We don't understand anything. No, 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 keep reading. The mystery that was hidden but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. It's not a mystery anymore. What is the mystery? This thing that we're talking about, Christ dying on the cross, all the stuff that they waited for all these thousands of years now, trying to understand God. And remember on Sunday, talking about they did all kinds of crazy things in the Old Testament because they didn't get it. But they did, you know, like Abraham. And Abraham's servant that we're going to get to. Uh, you know, they all did goofy things. Gideon laying fleeces before the Lord. Jephthah, that moron. <laughs> Vowing, I'll sacrifice the first thing I see that comes out of my tent. And there's a list of crazy that goes on back here. And we should not live like this. They didn't get it. A lot of these guys lived in total darkness. In Abraham's case, it was 650 years. How old is the United States? So we were 200 and somewhat, 200 and what? I went just 650 years before commandment number one. Commandment number two. Before the Ten Commandments. They didn't know Jack. Yet they served God in fear. And all of it was a mystery to them. What does this mean? These sacrifices that we're doing. We know this doesn't take care of it. But it's a temporary fix for an eternal sacrifice that's coming in the Messiah. When does that happen? What's that all about? What is that? All that becomes clear now in Christ. We no longer live in this darkness. Okay, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember, what's the will of God? Christ in you. That's the will of God, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Everything he's doing is to advance the cause of Christ in the earth. Chapter two. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, which is 
just right next to them. Right here's Laodicea. Here's the Colossians, the Colossae that he's writing to. But right here, so that's he'd been there before. So he references those guys. Uh, working hard for you guys and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know, may know the mystery of God. See, pastor, is a mystery. No, namely Christ. A lot of people keep acting like there's this hidden mystery we just haven't figured out yet because Paul writes about this mystery. The mystery is Christ. He keeps saying it was the mystery to these guys, not to us, all right? Uh, da, 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 da. In Christ, whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, praise God. See, that's why you would really, if we really understood that, all of us, if we'd understand it, we'd pray more, we'd seek God more, we'd read the Bible more. Why? Because what he's saying is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which is the key to success in any area of life, to succeed life in general, all those mysteries are hidden in Christ. Well, let's go find them. <laughs> let's go figure out what they are. That's why you should read the Bible on your own. Pray on your own. Keep asking questions on your own. Learning, seeking out Christ. The more you get to know him, the smarter you are. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In other words, it's all about Jesus. Don't get into goofy stuff. He's whack-a-mole. He's about to whack-a-mole in just a second here. Uh, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is uh, in Christ is. Now, I, what does he mean by that? I don't, Paul was an extremely spiritual man. And by his own writings, admits he's seen stuff that God won't even let him tell anybody about. Okay. Is he having visions when he's praying that he can actually see these people? He says, I'm not there with you uh, in physically, but I'm there with you in spirit. Now, we say that, you know. Hey, I'm not with you there, but my heart's with you. You know, emotionally. I think it's deeper than that with him. I think he actually could see what's going on. I think this guy was in a wonderful way. Man, the way God would use him and the visions he'd have and the dreams and wow. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on, depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. All right, they're having problems here. These guys are starting, some of this whack-a-mole he's doing is they, they were constantly trying to slip back into a form of Judaism. Why? Even to this day, I see people desperately trying to get drawn into obeying Old Testament rules and customs. It's the strangest, weirdest thing. I've never, why anyone would want to do that, but apparently that really appeals to a certain type of person, and there are a lot of them. And this was a problem in the church, but they also started coming up with, you know, spiritualized things and, you know, making up stuff that, that doesn't make any sense, okay? We'll get to it in just a second here. Make sure that, that doesn't happen to you. For in Christ, okay, depend on all the stuff instead of, they, they want you to get into all this other stuff, spiritual forces and all this kind of, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. See, now what he's getting back to, they were coming along and there's like mysticism that was trying to show up in the church. And there's still people that still do this. 
today. And we're gonna read about it in just a minute. He's saying, you know, man, don't be getting into angels and all kinds of stuff. You know how many people, they're always constantly, you know, ooh, you know, well, I, there's angels and, and I pray to angels and I ask the angels to talk to me and we hold hands doing angel walks throughout the day and, you know, and, I, and I got this and ooh, and they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. And they're talking about sounds and things they hear. And, oh, there's spiritual forces everywhere. And, you know, God is everywhere, even in this thing. And I love this thing, so I talk to this thing because God is in everything. Hello, are you there? I know you're in there. You know, and they get, they get real goofy. And some of y'all, I've, this has happened in our church. I, every time I see it, I whack a mullet. And, well, hopefully not offending you, but the reality is Stop. We don't do all this goofy spiritual stuff. Why? Everything we need is in Jesus. You don't need to be talking to angels. Or whatever you think you're hearing. And then he explains to it. Because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It's all there. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. When you're full, do you need to eat anything else? No, I'm full, praise the Lord. He is the head over every power and authority. You don't need to be talking to some goofy angels or the universe. Star Trek, right? Although I was changing keys there. In him who does everything, you are also circumcised with a circumcision that's not performed by human hands. See, right away, these, these guys, some of them are trying to suck them back into Judaism. Why they were obsessed with cutting off the end of your wiener, I have no idea. These people were crazy. They couldn't get past it. They had like this wiener obsession. I don't know what the deal was. Remember what Paul said in Galatians? He says, I wish these guys would cut their wieners off altogether. You remember when we read that? That was pretty intense. The translators don't quite say it that clearly. The New English. I would they would emasculate themselves. You know what it means? It means cut your wiener off. Don't do that. I don't know if that's a problem for anybody, but don't do that. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised in Christ. You talk about cutting stuff off. Yeah, God's cutting stuff off now. He's cutting off the nasty stuff you used to do, the evil part of you. That stuff is gone. You say, I feel tempted. I know, we still feel tempted. Till the day you die, you will feel tempted. The good news is you die. That is still there, but that old icky part of you has been cut away. That's what we need to focus on. Don't be cutting off your wieners. Don't sheesh me. That's exactly what he's saying. I know you guys get freaked out by this, but it's good. It's good. All right. So, having been buried with him in baptism, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized next Wednesday been buried with him in baptism, which you were raised, also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the, in the circumcision of your flesh, that old icky part of you, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You owed God big time. The bill had to be paid. I can't pay it. You have to pay it. Somebody has to pay it. But I can't. God says, okay, I'll pay it. He did it all. It's amazing. He canceled the charge of all your indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. All the stuff you've earned, you deserve. 
Pray, pray God doesn't give you what you deserve. <laughs> we all deserve to go to hell except for Jesus. All that's been taken away. He took it, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, something we didn't see going on. But when Jesus died on that cross and raised again, he humiliated all of hell, all the powers of Satan. Very powerful. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Yet there are people who still do this. I don't understand it. I don't. I mean, some of them are really sweet people. They are. They're great people. Man, there's a whole denomination committed to the Sabbath day. Sabbath day Adventists. Nice people. I've done a lot of work for these guys. Great people. I love them. I don't know what they think when they read this. Hello? Do not judge anyone by what they eat or drink. We can't eat that because by the Old Testament says you're not supposed to eat pork. Hell, I ain't in the Old Testament. Pastor Bacon. All right? Or with God to a religious festival. You know, today's the festival of such and such. And a lot of Christians get caught up. They like that. They do the tie-in. I don't know. I, I don't care. Today's the festival of the such and such in the Old Testament. Okay. What do you something to eat? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't get caught up. A lot of Christians, they love to tie. A lot of churches still, they'll try and do these, you know, year of jubilee things, right? It's the year of jubilee. We're all going to walk in freedom this, this year. No, we walk in freedom because of what Jesus did on the cross. Doesn't matter what happens with some old festival. There are a shadow, these were just shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In Jesus, you got everything. So I say amen, praise God. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Oh, but pastor, I'm just praying to the spiritual forces out there. Really? Stop it. Because there are spiritual forces out of there. Some of them heading straight to hell. Don't be doing that. And by the way, talk about whack-a-bone. I'll end here. We'll come back and pick this up. Talk about whack-a-bone. And, and we'll see it when we look at the timeline of what happened to Christianity. There were a lot of things in Christianity that eventually they started picking up these things. And, uh, and you know, of course, the big difference between Protestants and Catholics is we don't think the same way. We don't hate. Whenever I point out what Catholics do or don't do, which I think they shouldn't be doing, it's not out of hatred. You know, we never talk about that. I hardly ever talk about these things. But one of the main things along the line of Christianity is they started getting into all kinds of stuff. Praying to saints? What is that about? Nobody's ever talked about praying to saints. To angels? To his mom? None of that stuff is in here. They started adding it because Paul wasn't around to whack them on it anymore. You know, and the writings were there, but a lot of ignorance was going on, right? Because people weren't literate and they didn't have the Bible. In fact, they were against people having the common Bible. And the Protestants came along and said, man, y'all need to see this. That's what they did. The Gutenberg Press, first thing they started printing was what? The Bible. So everybody could get it. People started going, hey, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. And it's a big disorder. There's all kinds of stuff that, that has been added later that Paul saw it popping up even when he was still there. And he was trying to put a stop to it. And if we go back to here, 
we wouldn't do those things because this becomes the standard. Now, in all fairness to Catholics, what their theology is, is that the Pope has the same authority as the Bible. That the Pope can make any decree, and once he decrees it, if he just adds stuff, he can add it because now it becomes real. And that's where Catholics and Protestants disagree. We don't think any one man gets to just cancel this or add stuff to it. We just, we don't think in those ways. They do. They're good people. They're great people, wonderful people. We love Catholics. We work with them. A lot of Catholics truly love Jesus. I get it. Look, there's all kinds of churches that have different ideas about stuff. We don't hate anybody. But the reason we don't do those, our standard is here. This is our standard. This is what we try to focus on. When you start doing stuff that Paul said don't do, like the Seventh-day Adventists. I love the Seventh-day Adventists. But they are, they are intense about the Sabbath day, which Paul said, don't do that. I'm sure they don't think he said that, but sure looks like he said it to me. <laughs> and he says it more than once. He says it a few places, but I don't But great people. I've spoken at their universities. I go to their churches. Fabulous. But man, Saturday, because Jewish Sabbath starts on Friday night. See, the evening and the morning, that's what makes a day, according to the Bible. So as soon as the sun goes down, because right now to us, we think this is still Wednesday. From a Jewish standpoint, this is Thursday. As soon as the sun goes down, it's the new day. All right? So as soon as the sun goes down on Friday, they immediately start practicing the Sabbath. And they can't get out of any restrictions of the Sabbath until the sun goes down on Saturday. Then boom. And they do it very, and they are very disciplined to it, and they know, man, most Seventh-day Adventists can tell you exactly what time the sun's going to set tonight. Because they know that stuff, because they, they live, okay, they're great people, they're not evil, I just think they're mistaken, but they think I'm mistaken. Okay. <laughs> we still love each other, it's fine. And again, we don't, when I point out some of these things, a lot of the stuff that we will point out, that he whack-a-moles, does pop up big time, in the Roman Catholic Church. And they think it's fine. We challenge them and say, you know, it's really not in the Bible. They say it doesn't really matter. We think it does. That's why they meet over there and we meet over here. But we don't hate each other. This isn't, you know, travesty like in Ireland where Catholics and Protestants shoot each other. Well, there's a good witness. <laughs> that really shows the love of Jesus around the world, don't it? Catholics and Protestants, let's get out there and shoot each other in the head. No, let's not. We just love each other and respect each other and just agree to disagree. It's fine. So, yeah, my granny, she won't just pray to Jesus. She's got to pray to his mom first. Okay. Just be nice. <laughs> agree to disagree. We don't, we don't do that. Everything Paul says, there's no need for any of the spiritualization stuff. Praying to the universe, all this goofy stuff some people get caught up. We don't do it. Because everything is wrapped up in who? Jesus. See? The Christ. He fulfills it all. That's what it's all about. All right? We'll end with this. And uh, well, let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Make it real and powerful in us. Help us, Lord, to, uh, as we learn, to uh, grow from it, but not to become arrogant about it. Certainly not to take what we know and hit somebody over the head that doesn't know <laughs> That's, that's not the purpose of any of this. Uh, it's just for us to grow, that we can understand your word. We are so grateful, Lord, that all of our debt, all of our sin, all of our transgressions, whatever we owed, has been paid in full. And we are now walking as children, sons and daughters of the living God. This we celebrate. We're so grateful for. Bless all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
See you guys next Wednesday night. Baptism.